means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are covering chapter 33, Fight and Flight. Julie's back with us. Hi everybody. And this is a very short, very condensed chapter. I think it's only like 14 pages, something like that. Yeah. It is super, super short. It is action-packed, but we'll see how long this episode goes. <laughs> Essentially, into the woods they go, and that was for Julie. <laughs> Musical references. Uh, and we encounter a whole bunch of creatures. We get centaurs. We get grop. We get thestrals. We get the whole bit in this chapter. So mm-hmm. I think there's a bow truckle at some point, too. <laughs> there is a bow truckle. Yep. You're right. So, yeah. Obviously, Hermione's plan from the last chapter was to lure Umbridge into the woods. Into the Forbidden Forest. And it's unclear initially what exactly she's going for. So much Mm -hmm. so that Harry is even like, where are we going? I thought you were going to Grop, but this is not the route to get to Grop. So where are we going? And soon we find out. She's making as much noise as physically possible. Yelling back instructions. Trying to clearly get the attention of something. Which Harry is also put off by. Because he's like, we don't have wands. Mm -hmm. And do we really want to attract attention? And we're also kind of heading in the area of Aragog, and that's a problem. So, like... (laughs) There's a lot of red flags happening. Yeah, there's a lot of things I'm not comfortable with here. (laughs) And we soon find out that she's trying to get the attention of centaurs when 50, 50 of them show up. That's a lot. Like, so... Mad prop. We talked about Hermione being the MVP of the last chapter, but yep. like, mad props to thinking up this like elaborate cover story and scheme that quickly. Yeah, for sure. And it is such a well, well, partially well. Th- the idea is it's well half thought, thought out. Yeah, well. but when you think about the like, what your end goal is the fact that you did it when you don't have wands is a little short-sighted because it's not like uh, I mean like they ask Umbridge for her wand since they're like leading the way but like in what world was she going to give them a wand Uh, no she's not that stupid yeah (laughs) like that would be a Here, let's walk that, into a dark forest where you're unarmed that would and we're armed. Backfire so immediately. <laughs> Speaking of Umbridge, she immediately offends every one of those 50 centaurs. Which makes me wonder if that was actually part of Hermione's plan. If she knew. 100%. That. I think that that's the whole plan. Yeah, is that it's not even just that they're going to be in the forest and their presence would be off putting to the centaurs, but. That Umbridge would come in and start spewing. The Umbridge? Yeah, she would be Umbridge and, you know, call them Half like... Half-breeds. Yes. Half-breeds. Near, near human, human intelligence. intelligence. To a species that is very... 
proud of... It's a good word. Like, their history, their knowledge, their intelligence. So you take someone that you know is going to try and be all high and mighty, I work for the ministry, to a bunch of beings that don't care at all. Centaurs feel like it is their forest. They mm -hmm. own this forest. They run this forest. Everything that happens in this forest is okayed by them. And uh, Umbridge is quick to remind them that they are allowed to be here by the Ministry of Magic <laughs> and the regulation of blah, 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 blah. Uh, which does not go over well with them. Well, it just shows you how, like, high and mighty, like, and self-important Umbridge feels about herself. That, like, I get it when you're at Hogwarts and you're with a bunch of witches and wizards who have to abide by the rules of the Ministry of Magic. But, like, when you're talking about, like, you're in the middle of a dark forest by yourself with no one to help you because the two teenagers don't count as help when they don't have wands to yep. assist you. Like, what are they going to do? Throw fists? Like, come on. And, like, the fact that you're sitting there going, you must remember that the ministry allows you to be in this woods. Like, what? Lady, come on. <laughs> yeah, so naturally arrows fly in her direction. <laughs> and then... That means they fly near her. Very near her. Yeah. And Bad aim or warning shots? What are we talking what are we thinking? Warning about? shots. I think they're warning shots. Do we have like a stormtrooper situation? Oh, look at you pulling out the yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, Look at Wars that. Reference. You gave me a musical reference. I'm shooting back a Star Wars reference. Fair enough. I like it. I'll find a Disney reference here somewhere. <laughs> Welcome to the episode of references. <laughs> <laughs> With the arrows flying so near her. Uh, she then feels threatened, as she should, because those fair. are threats. Uh, she attacks the leader, Magorian. Which, again, one of you, 50 of them. Even if you're, like, Dumbledore-level magical power, I don't know how you see those odds and go, yep, I, I got this. I think Dumbledore or Voldy can probably fend off 50. Uh, Umbridge... Not at that epic god level tier of magical power. What? <laughs> she couldn't even fend off some nifflers in her office or just students. Yeah. She couldn't even control Fred and George. How is she going to control 50 centaurs? Exactly. Naturally, she gets taken away by a horde of centaurs. And then it gets even more interesting, though, because... They turn on Harry and Hermione and are like, well, what should we do with them? Mm-hmm. And Hermione tries. <laughs> this is, like, probably one of the dumbest things Hermione does in the entire series. Yeah, she, this is not Hermione's best moment. Hermione's stressed here, but I think fear creeps in. Mm -hmm. And she half panics a little bit. This is where, like, Harry and Hermione are, like, this is where they differ in, in stress situations. Yeah. Because as soon as Hermione starts talking here, he's like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was not the right thing to well, say. Yeah. We were hoping you would take care of our problem for us. So that's why I went into your home. All of the things you said so brilliantly about Hermione's plan, what that essentially is, is manipulating. Yeah. And she's banking on centaurs doing exactly what she thinks they'll do. Which doesn't go over well with the centaurs. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, now we're being used. Yeah. Now we're doing your dirty work. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't 
settle well with us. So you're going to get the same punishment. You think you can just use us for your, you know, wizard games or whatever. Okay. Here's my question for you. What do we think of centaurs, just in general? We've seen a bit of them now. Yeah, honestly, I kind of get their perspective. Yeah? Like, you're half human, and you have the humans that are telling you, like, nope, we're superior to you. Like, I take issue. I would take issue with that. I would have, like, the negativity of that. Like, you're... Pretty dang close to being equals. And it's almost like old age and new age because, like, obviously the centaurs have a lot more, like, the magic of the stars, the magic of the universe versus, like, I have a stick. (laughs) But I kind of get it. Like, you're kind of being told that you're less than and, like, who doesn't take issue with that? Like, if someone, like, walks up to you and was like, hey, you have near-human intelligence, like, how do you not take issue with that? I, I get that, and they definitely have that... I mean, they're definitely a look-down-upon species in the Wizarding World. Just look at the Ministry of Magic yeah. and the the statue that they have in the yeah. lobby, and, and you get where, you know, their presence is. And they should obviously be higher up on that chain, you could say the same thing about house elves and goblins mm-hmm. and a lot of things. Heck, even gnomes have language and yeah. stuff like that. So, I mean, like, a lot of these are sentient beings. We talked about kicking and throwing gnomes. Yeah. It's a sentient... Anyway, <laughs> I'm getting distracted by gnomes. But at the same time, these centaurs are not doing anything to really make their situation better. They're perpetuating those stereotypes of centaurs. But I think... by. At pillaging the... and rampaging and taking people deeper into the... Yeah, but at the same time, they've essentially said, like, hey, leave us alone in the forest and we'll leave you alone. That's fair. And yep. so you came into their domain. And I think especially when you're looking at it from the ones that are living in the Forbidden Forest outside of Hogwarts. Because there's probably some understanding with Dumbledore of the, like... The boundaries. Yeah, like, okay, this is... Your forest, cool. Like, we might have to, like, go in there to do things, but, like... We'll generally leave you alone. Yeah. And so to have someone then come in when you've established your domain, your regency, whatever you want to call it, and then is like, we allow you to be here, like... Umbridge is particularly offensive. Yeah. (laughs) They also take issue with Hagrid, who, as friends has said has shown a general level of respect and deference and love of creatures and the forest and respect towards everything in the forest. And they don't show him nearly a level of... Granted, he's introduced a whole new entity into the forest recently, which has set them all uh, on edge. Yeah. Um, And they're not cool with that creature being in their forest. Nope. And we'll get to that one in a little bit. Which, again, is, like, abusing their, like, their leniency on cohabiting in the forest. Like, It's a big forest. I mean, yeah, but... I also, I also understand... Big new creature being added to the forest. Well, and it's not the first time Hagrid's added a creature to the forest. Yeah. That's become a problem. Yes. I mean, he... an acromantula. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not a small... We have an infestation problem. <laughs> yeah. 
So, you know, their patience for Hagrid has probably grown thin. They're a complicated species. Yeah, I think they're a little overly defensive, obviously. Um, a little prone to violence. Yeah, and a little prone to violence. But who isn't in the wizarding world, apparently? Um, I get it. Like, the way that they're treated, if there's some type of understanding of the forest is theirs, and, like, it may be their own like claim that they've put on the forest but seeing how Dumbledore has interacted with other species I could see Dumbledore being like all right force is yours cool like and kind of working that situation to kind of make everyone I don't even want to say happy because I don't think they're happy but like you know moderately okay everybody's content yeah everyone's content and so I feel like when you kind of have that like mutual understanding and then someone's going to come in and be like, um, sorry, new sheriff in town. Yeah. And I... then you try to take your wand magic, which is one of the things that they hate most about the wizards. And then you're going to try and attack them for them saying like, Hey, you're on our land. I get yeah. it. Yeah. No, it's, it's a complicated, it's, a complicated diplomacy matter yes. that I think Dumbledore is particularly adept at navigating. Yeah. Uh, whereas other wizards maybe aren't. And Umbridge goes without saying. But, very much not yeah. <laughs> capable. But you know who does demand respect by the centaurs? Uh, the 16 foot tall <laughs> toddler giant of Grop. Uh, he appears and all of a sudden the centaurs are on alert and on edge and are like that's a problem yeah and he's clearly broken free from his i uh, guess you can call him restraints just ropes around the the legs or whatever he's ripping out trees i yeah. didn't think that was gonna last for very long so uh yeah the centaurs are a little bit like okay if we had problems with even fighting hagrid if hagrid was able to fight off a handful of us mm -hmm. grop is bigger stronger uh, Could literally step on you. <laughs> more resistant to general harm, and Hagrid is very resistant, so 50 might not even be able to take down Grop. Yeah. So this is a problem, and naturally chaos ensues. Grop tries to find out where Hagrid is. Uh, doesn't go well. More antagonizing between mm -hmm. the centaurs and, and Grop goes back into it. Grop doesn't exactly know what he's doing, I don't believe. I, I don't think... So... This section of the chapter is particularly, like, hilarious and relatable to me um, because when he's trying to find Hagrid and Ron and Hermione are like, I don't know what he's saying. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is what my house is like on a daily basis. Hager! When, yeah, like, when my toddler is saying something, and I'm like, I have no idea what you are saying to me right now, but it's going to end disastrously if I don't figure it out. <laughs> That's a really apt comparison. <laughs> so this might be the most that I've actually been able to relate to <laughs> the to book a, recently. <laughs> to, to Grop, to a half giant. Because it's literally, they're just like, what is he saying? What is he? And like, when you look at it, you're like, guys, I mean, what do you think he's looking for? Like. He's saying Hager. Yeah. I mean, really. There's... But at the same time, there's a lot of things that my toddler has said that have been very close to the actual thing. That after you make the realization of what he's saying, you're like, oh, 
Gotcha. Okay. I wish I figured this out five minutes ago. Fair enough. <laughs> not that that would have helped their situation. No, but... <laughs> probably not. Inevitably, this ends up with centaurs just shooting a ton of arrows at Grop. Some of them hit. Some of them stick in a little bit. And then he's trying to rub the arrows out, which ends up embedding them deeper. And mm-hmm. now you're getting like blood everywhere and Harry's soaked in it and he's flailing knocking centaurs flying it's uh it's a violent scene really it's a lot of carnage for Ron or for Harry and Hermione to essentially like get out of trouble Hermione and Harry take this note to back away from all of the (laughs) the danger And they find themselves stumbling through the forest and trying to figure out what our next steps are going to be. And Harry's starting to panic because he's like, we've wasted so much time now. And again, he's like mad at Hermione about it. This was your plan. How dare you? Yeah, and it's like, we wasted all of this time. This is one of those moments, though, where he's like, well, I haven't felt... The scar burn yet. So clearly Voldy hasn't done the yeah, deed. So, you know, Sirius is still alive. So it's okay that she wasted the time. But she wasted the time. We could have saved him by now. Do you think Voldy is just sitting there like twiddling his thumbs? Being like... <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to actually see me do this. <laughs> yeah. To their surprise, they run into the rest of the DA members. Ginny, Luna, Neville... And they figure out that they broke free using some of their spells. And that they've kind of learned and everyone kind of contributed. Uh, Neville stepped up to the plate. Luna Mm -hmm. stepped up to the plate. It's not just Ginny doing her thing. But can we also just give a quick round of applause to Ginny? We can always give rounds of applause to Ginny. I love Ginny Weasley. She's been awesome in these... She's been in it barely in these two chapters. But she's been... On point. Yeah, she has a lot of valid points, and I think she is one of the few characters that is very blunt with Harry about things. Because she even says when Harry is kind of fighting at the idea of the DA trying to help, he tries to tell Jenny that she's too young, and Jenny's like, um, excuse me, sir. <laughs> Let's not play this game, because how old were you when you went after... The when I, you went to the Chamber of Secrets, she, how old were you? Because when... I was three years older than you when you went into the source to yeah. get the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She and is, I love uh, it. She, My girl. She kind of puts Harry in his place, which needs to be done from yeah. time to time. And she does it more forcefully than Hermione because Hermione's still a little like traumatized from being verbally <laughs> no. attacked. <laughs> no, I, I think I think. Not that Ginny doesn't care about Harry's feelings, but I think Hermione is a little bit more empathetic or sympathetic in this situation, or to Harry. I think Ginny's like, forget that. I'm just going to tell you like what I think. Well, think about what Ginny has to deal with at the burrow with yeah. like all of her siblings, and like, girl doesn't have time to like tiptoe around. Yeah. No, I mean that's that's very true. Your fragile masculinity. Let's go. So Harry and Ron, speaking of masculinity, uh, (laughs) Harry and Ron dismiss all of the others joining. And the others, and even Neville and Luna, who are usually more passive. uh, Luna is just usually present. And they're like, no, 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 no. We didn't do all of the DA classes for nothing. 
You told us this was for a purpose. You told us it was for this specific purpose. Mm -hmm. So, and we've proven, we have proven that we can handle ourselves. Uh, Harry's probably like kicking himself like, man, I did give you guys that pep talk. Yeah, all of those inspiring speeches really backfired on me. I, I will get to this, though. This is kind of an interesting question for you. Harry and Ron have that moment where they look out at Ginny, Neville, and Luna. And they go, you know, or mentally to themselves, yeah. the, not out loud, but mentally to themselves, they're like, you know, if we had chosen any members of the DA to come with us, these would not be the three. And my question to you is, what three were they looking for? <laughs> Anyone else other than these three. Anyone? So, so you're, here's, here's my, you're telling me Ron would be cool with Ernie McMillan coming? Okay. Get out of here. But here's my here's my reasoning. So with Ginny, there's too much attachment. So That's fair. Ron and Harry both are not going to want to put Ginny in any harm's way. Sure. With Neville, like... There's I a mean, lot of stereotypes there. But he's... like. They've mentioned how they've noticed how far he's come. Yeah, but still, at the end of the day, like... He was second in the class. He's He was second still... behind Ron. He was ahead of Ron. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes, that is all true, but that was, like, this year. They have four other years of Neville being Neville. He glowed up. Is glowed up still a phrase? Can the young people listening know. to this still... <laughs> Can you let us know? Please let us know in the comment if we're cool for saying he had a glow up. He is now lit. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and now we lost all, got all the riz. There you go. Hey! <laughs> We're so, cool again, Dan. I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Continue with your plan. So anyway, Neville, I think the issue is, is that he has such a history of always spells misfiring or being clumsy or clutch yeah. like he's not someone that you immediately think of as reliable when you're going to battle with Voldemort. I get you. And I think with Luna, it's just since she's so like odd. Odd and spacey. Yeah. That I'll I'll give you Luna in that context. Is like it doesn't matter if she is the most talented which in the world, the fact that she's kind of spacey and, you know, will look off to the sky and start listing off some mythical creature that no one believes, like, exists, you're kind of like, okay, like, girl, we need to be focused. Yep. So, like, eyes over here and let's go. I get it, but I just look at the rest of the DA and I'm like, okay, Ernie McMillan, hard no. Zachariah Smith, hard no. Seamus? But could you also argue that they have more of a connection to these three? So they would have taken someone who they might not have cared, cared about? I don't mean that in a, like, if they died, they wouldn't care. But in a, like, you know, if Ginny gets a paper cut on, like, this mission. Molly will kill Ron. Like, yeah. you know, not even, like, Molly will kill Ron, but, like, I feel like. Her brothers would kill Ron. <laughs> Ron and Harry would have a lot more guilt sure. over that than like Ernie McMillan breaking a leg. I mean, that's fair. But I, I don't know. I guess maybe Angelina Johnson would be an option because she's athletic. She's yeah. a little older. She's 
they think just the idea and that this goes to like stereotypes and what you think of a person, mm-hmm. but like the look of her being athletic and older and yeah. a little bit more confident might be a person you'd rather go in with instead of Luna, for example. Well, and they're also the people that when you look at... You think Harry's like, bring Cho along. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to sacrifice someone, bring Marietta along. I think that with these three, it's like, minus Ginny. Ginny is the like connection that I think makes them want that makes her sense. to stay behind. But with Neville and Luna... I think it's a little bit more of the, like, okay, we're bringing the Island of Misfit toys with us. Like, That's definitely the perception that they're putting on them. They're putting on of the, you know, who is the person that you immediately think is going to be helpful? Whereas I feel like what we've seen through the books is that Neville and Luna would be more of a, okay, guys, you're going to go over here and you're going to do this instead of like, you're looking for the people that are just going to go and do, not the people that you need to tell them so what's needed. if Fred and George were still here, they would take Fred and George, right? In a heartbeat? I think so. I don't think they would actively search out Fred and George, but if Fred and George were like standing outside of the forest and they're like, we're coming, they'd be like, I mean, Better I than guess. Neville and Luna. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I mean, Neville's shown a lot of growth in this book. Yeah. A lot. And when you have in-book characters being like, you know, he's he's right behind Hermione. Yeah. Like, he's not far off. We can talk about this a little more, bit more in, because w- what I want to say about it is getting a little too spoilery. One more thing before we get to the spoilers, and that's the appearance of Thestrals. Obviously, Harry's covered in blood, which attracts them and they start nipping at his cuffs and his robes because they're drenched and um obviously luna's the first one to be like that's that's our way to london that's our way to the ministry and they're like what are you talking about and everybody's looking a little off center like harry's actually like touching a thestral like petting one and they're still like off yeah (laughs) like (laughs) like okay so it's an interesting idea, but uh, obviously it the chapter really just ends with them saying, okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and then... like literally Harry trying to go on like, you know, a solo mission again because it's yeah. like, okay, well, you know, there's there's only two of them and uh, we gotta go. So uh, Ron and I are gonna go, which like interesting that you would choose Ron to go. And have Hermione stay behind when Hermione has, like, which maybe it's, like, almost to get back at Hermione for hmm. delaying him and for... He's not happy like, with Hermione. Fighting, right like, and fighting with him. Probably. Um, so, like, saying, like, yeah, Hermione, you can actually stay behind since you don't believe this mission. But, like, I just, it's so funny that they're like, yeah, well, there's only two, so we're gonna go. You guys can you know, catch up when more come. And Luna's like, you mean like those ones right there? Yeah. (laughs) You're drenched in blood. They'll they'll be here. They're coming. Yeah. (laughs) I I just like the idea of horses at the edge of the Forbidden Forest that only very few people can actually see just sitting there like watching. Like the whole whole thing. It's like, can we just get at the robes now? Like that's all we really want is the blood on the robes. 
Uh, but the but the interesting fact about the Thestrals is they do seem to be actually be paying attention to the conversation, mm-hmm. and they seem to be tuned in to like what's going on, what they're asked yeah. to do. Of like, okay, we're being asked to transport. All right, like let's all like get in the line. Yeah, let's wait get for ready them all to, go. to like. Like they seem to be attuned to what's going on in a deeper way than just like a horse with wings yeah well and i wonder if part of it is the when you think about how you're able to see them if like part of their inner wiring is also with like assisting you helping you with grief or whatever so like they're almost like if their wiring is essentially to be helpful for people in need whether that need they're like is... a guide both emotionally but obviously their their true purpose is navigationally like yeah. literally guiding you somewhere yeah but it their secondary purpose yeah a little bit of help i mean that's in the movies that's what luna gives you this whole little monologue on is like yeah they're, they're there to show you that you're not the only one that you know is alone yeah so anyway uh, we will end the non-spoiler there, and we will get to spoilers after the break. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so we are back with the spoiler section of chapter 33, Fight and Flight. And I guess I, I never honestly really put this together, but the fight part is them literally fighting about who's going and not, uh, and then the literal flight. Oh, yeah. I never put that together because yeah. I always assumed fight would go towards either Umbridge, the Umbridge bit, or yeah. the... There's a lot of fighting. I guess there is fighting. There's fighting. Centaurs fighting. and Grop. I, yeah. I guess fight could be a lot, but I, while we're having this conversation, I'm like... Fight could just refer to literally the kids fighting on the outside, figuring yeah. out who's going. Centaurs. I wanted to double back on centaurs a little bit because we are not done with them in the series. They they do come back, mm-hmm. and they come back in a pretty epic way. In the Battle of Hogwarts, in Deathly Hallows, you see them perched on the edge of the forest. Yeah. And they're there, mm-hmm. watching this all unfold for a long time. They're watching death and destruction and kids dying, which they're generally opposed to. And they watch and they watch and they watch. And then finally, finally, they start intervening. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess, you know, you can, you can have your own spin on that. And we will break that. The Battle of Hogwarts is going to be a whole thing. Yeah. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to do that. We have, I have enough issues trying to do the last couple of chapters of this book. We'll figure out Deathly Hallows when it comes, but um, you know, we'll have to break down the centaurs in that battle because I think it's worth breaking down. They pick a side, yeah, which is not. Um, I can't imagine it's an easy decision for them to make. Just, just forget which side. Just well, to pick and one, especially when they say that like they don't interfere with. The dealings of man. 
So when they're saying like, listen, we don't care what your problems are, no matter how terrible it is or like how like bland it is or bad it is or anything in between, like we're out. And that's fine, except I think what forces their decision in that battle, and again, it's been a minute since I've read it, so we can really double back on it when we get there, but I think what forces that decision is they clearly have issues with things happening in their forest. Mm-hmm. Well, Voldy's side is using members of that forest in this battle. They yes. they use acromantulas mm-hmm. in the in the battle they have used other creatures they bring giants to the battle yeah uh, and we know how the centaurs feel about giants and they're clearly manipulating other creatures for their good and i think the centaurs would look at that and be like how long before they come for us yeah like it can't be that long before they come for us so what happens and and then speaking of I guess I'm putting that we really need to get to Deathly Hollows. I have a ton of <laughs> I know we're talking a lot about Deathly Hollows. But um, Voldy ends up purchasing himself in the Forbidden Forest. Mm-hmm. That's where Harry goes to to meet him. Yeah, and I'm like, where are the centaurs there? <laughs> uh, they can't be very pleased about that uh, unless they're a out on the battlefield still fighting, or b uh, they have gotten the hint that uh, Voldemort can go up against fifty. Yeah. Just by himself. Forget the, you know, the... Well, and I think that, that too, is that it could be a simple... The simple fact of the, like, this is our not our problem for today. Like, you're here as, like... A, a guest. A brief guest. Yeah. Um. So it's like... But I can't imagine they're thrilled about that situation. No. When I... they constantly are talking about how they don't like to be used, they don't want, like, the forest abused. Right. Um, Just bringing up this conversation, though, I'm like, we have so many angles to attack the Battle of Hogwarts yeah. <laughs> in a conversation. Like, there's so much to that. Man, that's going to be a, a load. But yeah, that, that's my one kind of thought about the centaurs is we're getting a lot of them now. We do get them back uh, a little bit later in the series, and it's kind of an interesting yeah. decision that they make. What do you got for the spoilers? What do I have? Um, well, is it hate for Harry? Because that seems to be your prominent. <laughs> that seems to be my theme a lot. Um, it's a lot of hate for Harry. <laughs> okay, I know right. everyone's shocked, everyone's floored, but I don't know. Like Harry is very assured of his own rightness. Like he's he's convinced. He's convinced that what he saw is true and valid. And he's mad that Hermione wasted their time, which means that he can't get to Sirius more quickly. And like, you know, his fears, I guess, are calmed a little bit by the fact that like, he only has a mild pain on his forehead instead of like excruciating pain. So, you know, Voldemort must not have killed Sirius. Which, to your point earlier, is the, like... It's a sign what in we, itself. What do we think Voldemort is doing? Like, sitting around, like, twiddling his thumbs, like... Which is kind of funny to think about, of the, like... If you're Voldemort, and you're like, I got this plan. Reclining back in a chair, probably like, up in a book. And you... Like, what are you doing while you're waiting? Like, you know... Oh, just in that, <laughs> like, right now, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah, like, what, 
you, you planted the seed and it needs to play out. Like, what are you doing? Because you know Harry well enough at this point that, like, it's not going to be, like, days. Right. Well, can you imagine, like, Lucius being like, uh, sir, it's been hours. And Voldy just being like, wait, it'll happen. Wait it'll for happen. It. Wait for it'll it. It'll happen. <laughs> but, like, are you just, like, sitting in an armchair, like, you know... Wrapping your fingers on the arm, just like... <laughs> yeah, or just like, you know, your hands like folded in your lap and just like waiting for whatever, you know, sound goes off you to tell you that someone's... game of, I'm going to torture the next person that walks in the door. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoever it is. Just like, crucial. <laughs> like... That's what I'm saying. Like, what are you, like, you know that this plan is like going out and it could be that like they show up at the ministry through the flu network just, in like two minutes. I'm just thinking of that game now. I'm just like, <laughs> Crucio, oh, you got me, Dark Lord. Oh, like, what are you going to say? Anyway, sorry. It was my honor to be tortured. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Like, what are you going to do? And so like, I don't, like, I don't know. What are you doing? Like, just standing there going, like, are you waiting in, like, a closet at the ministry waiting to, like, pop out and be like, surprise, we're here. Maybe he pops on the radio and listens to some Celestina Warbeck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, he could have literally, instead of the, using the fire in Umbridge's office to, like, check in on Grimmauld Place, he could have just went straight to the ministry and been like, all right, let's go scope this out. So, like... It literally could have been a two minutes or two days that you're just kind of like sitting and like waiting to go. <laughs> Harry is just, anyway, so a little off tra- track, but. That's how we do it. Yes. Like Harry is just so determined and confident that what he saw was completely. It's all credit tri- to Voldy though. Yes, it is. But. He is so confident in it that he does not care what anyone else tells him. And he's complaining about how Hermione wasted time and, like, we need to get there. And Everything he knows, though, points him to this conclusion. Like, there's nothing that has happened to him tonight that would tell him that this isn't the actual truth. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fair. But, I mean, there's a lot of deception. I mean, Voldy's deceiving him. Creature deceived him. And the reality of the Arthur Weasley thing, I mean, all three of those things point to his confidence level being pretty high. Yeah, but I I also just keep thinking, like, how exhausting is it to be Harry's friend? Oh, that's, especially, that's true. Like, <laughs> that especially like, now. Like, we doing this again? All and, right. Like, in the earlier books, like, being Harry's friend first is, like, pretty cool because you're like hey i'm friends with a famous person this is awesome and then it's like i'm sorry we're doing what now oh okay peril and danger do you think they like all get together the three broomsticks later in life over some fire whiskeys just going like (laughs) you almost killed me like five times (laughs) like man do you remember when or like harry's complaining about you know how one of his kids, like, left a toy broomstick out and he tripped over it. And they're like, hey, remember when you tripped us into a devil's snare and we almost died? 
You think Justin Finch Fletchley ever like sees him later in life and goes, "Remember when I thought you were trying to kill me?" <laughs> yeah, that was good times. Good Does times. Hogwarts have class reunions? I would hope so, right? <laughs> like I would hope so. Especially during like the like years that we're reading about. Like, can you imagine going back to like your Hogwarts reunion and being like, "Remember when everyone was getting petrified?" Can you imagine if? Neville brought Harry in as like a guest speaker and then he just starts telling old school stories about Neville. (laughs) (laughs) I now want to envision Hogwarts reunions at some point. We need to talk about this. What what would you talk about at your reunion? What happens at your Hogwarts reunion? Uh, It'd be pretty depressing if you were like in... uh, I don't know. Because it's hard when you're like, okay... Harry, this is a spoiler section, so it's like, oh, yeah, so I caught a couple of dark wizards the other day and, you know, had to go into Hermione's office to, you know, tell her about the latest dark wizard because, you know, she's the minister of magic now and, uh, you know, that's just life. Yeah. And then you get some guy that's like, yeah, I... Uh, I'm an accountant. Yeah. Like, um... I attended bar at the Hogshead for like a week. Um, there was some crazy people there. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Look, it's, it'd be hard. It'd be like, you know how those people are at some parties that are like one-uppers? Yeah. Like they like to one-up your story. It'd be hard to do with yeah, Harry like, Potter, Hermione yeah. Granger. How like... do you one-up Harry Potter? <laughs> well, I was at the Battle of Hog. Oh, Right, you were you, you were, were there. The, you were kind of yeah. the reason for the Battle of Hogwarts. Okay, yeah. But anyway, Harry's like being friends with Harry has got to be so between like the, you know, turmoil that he puts all of his friends through at you know, risking their lives on the daily. Yeah. But like also, especially in these later books, where like, Harry, I always make fun of this book and call it Harry Potter and the teenage angst. Um, And like when you're in this book and Harry has so much like built up like trauma that's all just coming to a head now. Mm -hmm. And like we've talked about a lot, like Ron and Hermione end up with the grunt of it. And it's like, even if it's all for the greater good at the end of the day, like you still took like a mental and in a lot of cases, physical beating just by being Harry's friend. And I think like, I know that I am very hard on Harry a lot, but I feel like Harry also never gives his friends like the credit or thanks that they deserve. He instead continuously comes back and is like, you guys didn't tell me this. You guys don't believe me this time. Well, to your point, when we get that sentiment of gratitude and loving that he does feel for them, it's always internalized. Yeah. Like we get it through an internalized. We very rarely get an outward showing of it where other characters are like, oh, that's what he said or what yeah. he said, you know. Harry very much feels that this is his battle to fight. And that since it's his battle to fight, he is the one that knows how to battle it best. I think, I think he's genuine in that he doesn't want to put others in danger for his fight. Yeah. Even though that's what happens repeatedly, which does, I think, like we talked about 
guilt later on with the events of last chapter. I think he does feel guilt because Voldy taunts him yeah. at it. He's like, you know, Lupin stood up for you. Tonk stood up for you. James and Lily stood up for you. Albus stood up for you and fell. Yeah. Like, everybody is putting themselves between you and me and they're dying for you. Yeah. Why don't you step up for you? Yeah. And it, that does weigh on him. He does feel that very sincerely. I think the issue that I take with it is I'm not saying that that's not a heavy burden for him to carry, but for someone who keeps trying to say, like, I need to go at this on my own, when, like, his friends, we see it time and time again, are the ones that carry him through it and are the ones, are the only reason, let's be honest, that he's made it. Oh, sure. He's gotten a lot of help. Yeah. Like, if it weren't for all of these friends, like, he wouldn't have made it this far. He wouldn't have figured things out. Like, he probably wouldn't have survived past book one. It's a little bit of the human condition, though. Because, I mean, we've all been there where it's like, the the problem is ours to solve. And we have to feel like it's our problem to fix and no one else's. But who has gotten through life without friends or family or, yeah. or someone being well, like, you, you need a boost, you need so a help? So I guess like, I'll say that like, for me personally, like if I'm like super busy or super stressed, like I don't necessarily need like external help because it ends up being like more stressful for me of figuring out how to have people help me. Whereas instead, like I have my method, I know how to like de-stress, get everything done, whatever you want to call it. But Knowing that if someone's trying to, like, help, I don't turn around and, like, lash out at them and make them, like, cry from how much I am, like, going at them. And I think that's the major issue that I take with Harry is that, like, he wants to do this on his own so that it's not any type of burden on other people because it's his fight. But then it's... When those people aren't 100% supportive and behind him, it's a big explosion. We saw it earlier in the book when Ron and Hermione were perfectly reasonably not relaying information. So what does he do? He lashes out at them. He puts all of his like anger and frustration out on his friends. He doesn't care that his friends are hurt. He doesn't care that Hermione is crying in front of him. He does not care what damage he's doing to those people because he knows that they're still going to be here. They've always been here. They've almost died how many times and they're still here helping him for, I mean, granted, it's for the greater good. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily just that they're being good friends. It's that they understand what happens if Voldemort does come back into full power. But there's never any type of thanks for your help or I couldn't have done this without you or, like... Can I ask you a question? When you yeah. first read this, first read, mm-hmm. as long ago as that probably was, do you remember how you read it, uh, or if you felt a little... Because how I'm feeling on these multiple rereads that I've done, and now this specific one, where I think it was you that coined the phrase that this podcast is like AP English, <laughs> where we're diving a little, maybe too deeply, into, into a lot of things... And we know generally what's going to happen, so we're putting two and two together. Mm-hmm. When we first read this, though, it, and even when I was reading this and not at an AP English style of, I'm just reading this through Harry's eyes. Yeah. And I'm just, 
going with the flow and I'm not thinking about the whole world. I'm not thinking about where Hermione's coming from or where Albus is coming from or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember connecting with Harry a lot and being like, I see where he's coming from with a lot of this. So from what I remember at the first time reading this, which was whenever it this book came out, which I can't remember. I'm terrible at Pretty dates, sure it was so 2003 me, but, off the top of my head. Um, so my first time reading this, I do remember that the lashing out at them in the beginning, I always thought was extremely harsh. Um, like I said, I have always referred to this book as Harry Potter and the Teenage Angst because it always felt You weren't so... angsty in high school, Julie. Come on now. Dan, you knew me in high school. Was I really the angsty Come type? On. <laughs> Everybody had a little angst in them. Uh, I mean, yeah, everyone has a little bit of teenage angst, but... I remember reading it and still feeling like it was super harsh, especially when you're looking at it from the perspective of, like, Ron and Hermione were following what Dumbledore was instructing them as far as the order was concerned. And when you see what's happened in the past, you know, four years before that, like, yeah, you're going to follow what Dumbledore told you to do, especially considering that the person who always gets the trio to not listen to the adults is Harry. So to me, it makes a lot of sense, especially like now you know that Voldemort's actually back. So yeah, you're going to listen to the one person that Voldemort's afraid of. Fast forwarding to this chapter and last chapter, it could be because like I've always had a strong connection with Sirius's character, but like from what I recall first reading the book, like at this point I was like, yeah, guys, come on, let's go. Like, we got a person to save. And it's like, I didn't necessarily notice the, the description of Creature or the weird things that Creature was saying. Like, there's no part of me that was like, well, There's no reason why is... us as a reader should not buy into the illusion that Voldy's created. Exactly. And so, like, this back half, like, I think I'm a lot harsher on Harry now than I was at the first read. Mm-hmm. Um, but also knowing what ends up happening and seeing like all of his friends who are saying things that are like, wow, you could have saved lives, lots of lives, like not just serious, but like if you had never gone to the ministry, Voldemort wouldn't have been out in the open. It could have been another decade before he was out in the open. Like, I don't think it would have lasted that long, but like, It could have been years before he came back into power where you could have gone for all the horcruxes. Maybe you could have found them before people knew he was back. And there's just so much like what ifs of the like, what if you just listened to Hermione and sat for just two minutes to think it through instead of just going like, straight on and then being annoyed at Hermione to the extent that when we're talking about who's going to go to the ministry, when there's only, you know, two modes of transportation, Harry's like, Ron and I are going to take these. Hermione, you wait with everyone else. And, you know, if more show up, that's great. And Hermione's like, um, excuse me? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. So like now you're saying like, listen, you weren't one hundred and ten percent behind me, so uh, you're staying back with the rejects. If you're not one hundred percent behind me, you're zero percent behind me. Yes. Yeah. 
And I feel like that's what he continuously does to all of his friends. And it's like, how exhausting is that? Especially when you know that Harry in the end is fighting for the greater good. So it's like, how do you just go, well, we're not going to be friends anymore. And hopefully we don't all die next month. I mean, Hermione called it in the last chapter when he, when she called out his savior complex. Yeah. Because I don't think there's any denying that he very clearly has a savior complex. And he's the burden of Harry Potter. And no one really, genuinely, sincerely, no one understands what it's like to be Harry Potter. Correct. And that's fair. Mm-hmm. But you do get in this book some people that are starting to get into that realm. Yes. Because you talked, I think it was Hannah Abbott or uh, Susan Bones. It was one of the two. I, I can't remember which one off the top of my head now. But one of them was talking to Harry about like, hey, I've had family members that mm-hmm. have died at the hands of some of these Death Eaters that are escaping Azkaban. Neville. He learns a lot about Neville's history, which is similar to slightly different than yep. his history. And you get Bronn, whose dad was a tech... Like, now you get are getting people that are coming into his sphere yeah. of hardship. Yeah, and it's like they're never going to have the exact connection and correlation to what's going on as Harry himself does. But you're getting a lot more people who can easily rally behind the cause who aren't questioning you because like you're doing something bold and dangerous but are questioning you as a like we're all sitting at this table and we're all fighting the same fight well that's the that's it that's it right there it's because harry has got to start realizing that he's not the only one with stake in the game anymore it's everybody's fight Mm -hmm. and there are other people with chips in this game yes so it's it's when Harry, Harry started this series alone. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how he started. And probably, I mean, as he's gone through the series, more and more people have realized, like, hey. He's not just a famous name. He's he's, he's a regular human being. Yeah. And, you know, we're also succumbing to a lot of these hardships. Mm-hmm. And... The uh, collateral damage that Voldy is. Yeah. And Harry Harry does get there. He does get there and figure out like, After oh wait. Kicked this kicked to the ground 12,000 times. It's not just me against Voldy. Yeah. It's the world against Voldy. And it's it has, it has to be a team effort. As much as I like, as much as I get on him for all the help he got specifically in Goblet of Fire, it is a team effort. And you have to have a team effort. He needs, spoilers, he needs that pep talk before he goes into the forest. He needs mm-hmm. his family, or, you know, extended and literal family, yeah. to give him that push mm-hmm. of, like, it's okay. Like, we're here, we're with you. Yeah. He needs to accept that, yeah. I guess. But it's like... Right here in this scene, he is not accepting that. Yeah. He's like, this is my fight. Get out of here. Which this is, is like ironic when you then look at the people that he's rejecting to come with are the people who really... He did it to Ginny earlier up, in this yeah. book. When he was like, you guys don't get it. You get it. And yeah. Ginny's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I was it's, very literally you possessed. It. You don't get it. And like, I... I it's just got to be so... Draining. Draining and exhausting. And then it's like you read it and 
you know, Harry is infuriated with Hermione that it's taking so long. And it's like, you know what? If Hermione took even longer, maybe none of this would have happened. Maybe Voldemort would have went like, oh, I guess that didn't work. Well, there's also... Albus is not an idiot on so many different levels. But one of the more brilliant things he did was when he's giving Harry all the info on the Horcruxes and on Voldy, mm -hmm. he's like, I don't want you to just keep this in this office with me. Tell Hermione. Yeah. Tell Ron. Because he realizes that the checks and balances within that friendship yeah. strengthens it and makes it better. He needs... He gives Ron the Deluminator mm -hmm. because it's like, you need to leave and you need to come back. Yeah. And Harry needs Hermione because if he doesn't have those two, mm -hmm. this all falls apart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, Harry gets there. <laughs> he gets there. Kicking and screaming. Yeah. But he does. <laughs> it takes a while. But he's a kid, an angsty kid who's going through a lot. And he's figuring it out. Yeah. What else you got? Any more anti-Harry? I think I've beat up on Harry enough for Fair two enough. episodes. <laughs> Don't fret. We will get more of Julie very soon as we are planning a, a pretty special episode for uh, one of our upcoming chapters. It might be Beyond the Veil. So uh, we're planning a, a cool episode. So stick around for that coming in a couple of weeks. And otherwise, you could check in with us on Twitter and Instagram. You could check in with us by participating in polls on Spotify, leaving us a comment on Spotify. You can leave us a voice message. Ooh, fancy. As well. Anywhere you see a link for the podcast, there will be a link for leaving a voice message where we can hear your voice and maybe even include you in the podcast. Your voice Ooh, could be on this podcast. That's snazzy. Yeah. Uh, it's editing for me, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, also, there's a link to donations um, if you were so inclined to support this podcast financially. We put in a lot of work <laughs> to this podcast. A lot of time, a lot of effort. So any help uh, with that would be lovely. Uh, but otherwise, just share the podcast. Let this podcast grow. Keep growing. We're kind of amazed at the numbers that we're seeing. Uh, if you saw our Spotify wrapped, you know it's crazy. Yeah. So uh, thank you to all of the listeners for all of your support. And we will see you next week for chapter 34. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a podcast.